Hello, and welcome to Quick Hits, a podcast brought to you by Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis. And today's short podcast is a little bit off the normal path that I tend to speak about. You know that when you hear me, I'm usually talking about terrorism or serious national security issues. This one's a little lighter in tone, but I think it has a serious message behind it. As I sat at the breakfast table this morning, I was reading my copy of the Ottawa Citizen. So the Ottawa Citizen is one of the two main daily newspapers in Ottawa, the other one being the Ottawa Sun, from the, you know, the infamous Sun sort of chain. Citizen's been around since 1845, a pretty long time. And one feature that the Citizen has often is a look back at what they call offbeat or interesting stories that have appeared in the Ottawa Citizen over its 175 year history. And this morning was a, a, a piece from the 1950s and uh, I'll, just, I'll just cite some of it to sort of set the tone here. By the middle of June 1950, Ottawans had already enjoyed a couple of days during which the temperature reached 30 degrees Celsius. So some residents may not have eagerly welcomed news that month that the city government was considering banning shorts in public. It seems that a couple of people were basically registering complaints about seeing people wearing shorts in town. And it seemed that the so-called spark plug behind the drive was an unnamed, I'm quoting here, an unnamed 40-year-old West End housewife and mother of four who felt something needed to be done about shorts-wearing pedestrians and bicyclists. And then she talked to her clergyman, who gave her the green light to lobby priests, ministers, and church organizations about the matter. So shorts were on the agenda in June 1950. People are upset at all those bare legs showing in public. So why am I talking about this today on a podcast normally devoted to terrorism? To me, the minister's response to the housewife's concern about seeing bare skin in an Ottawa summer speaks to me of religious extremism. Now, in 1950, this would not have been seen as extremist. Of course, this is a much more conservative era. I look back to what was happening in Canada then. The Catholic Church was still very strong, especially in, in Francophone parts of the country. The Anglican Church was very strong in, Angl in Anglophone Canada. And so I think people recognized that church officials had a much greater say in public matters. They had a much greater say on social mores, on how people dressed and what they said, and the language they used. Fast forward to 2020, so seven years later, and this would, if someone tried this today, this would be very much an extremist position. I can't see any religious leader coming out and saying we shouldn't have shorts, we shouldn't have short sleeve shirts, women shouldn't have their hair uncovered in public, men should wear hats, and get away with that. At least not in Canada. Maybe get away with that in Afghanistan or other parts of the conservative world. You sure don't get away with it in Canada. So why am I bringing this up? Well, I think a lot about terrorism. I think a lot about violent extremism. And it seems to me that a lot of extremism is not violent in nature. It's simply intolerant, or it's hateful, or it's rejectionist, or it's uber-conservative. And I continue to see, in when I read the news on a daily basis, religious figures, either priests, rabbis, imams, or whatever, or very religious people, so adherence to a certain faith, will often come out with statements, demands, in which they're trying to mold or shape or force public decorum, public behavior in a certain direction that meets their very narrow definition of being acceptable. And this speaks to a, a great level of intolerance. We've seen a lot of it during COVID. I had an earlier podcast about COVID, religious extremists demanding that they have 
public gatherings, large public gatherings of people that would spread the virus. And I think that religious extremism, and I wrote a whole book on it, When Religion Kills, back in 2019, just last year, looking at violent extremism across a number of religious movements, not just the Islam we normally associate it with, but Christianity and Buddhism and Hinduism and Sikhism and Judaism. This could be seen as, I don't want to use the term feeding factor. I don't want to say there's a direct relationship between nonviolent religious extremism and violent religious extremism. But I think at a minimum, it's unhelpful. As I noted, in 2020, churches writ large, so, you know, synagogues, mosques, gurdwaras, whatever the particular place is that people gather, and religious officials have a much lesser influence on what we do, what we say, how we dress, where we go to work, what our relationships are, and things along those lines. And that's a good thing. I, th I think it's a good thing. I don't happen to be a particularly religious person, but I do think it, that we don't want any one religion to be the dominant one in the society to the extent where either those who do not adhere to that religion, i.e. religious minorities, or those who are a-religious completely, or anyone else who doesn't agree with the particular policies recommendations is somehow subject to threat, whether those threats are violent in nature or not. We've, we've gone past that. As a species, as, as a series of, of human societies, we had times in which churches dictated all these types of things. They don't do that anymore, at least not in the West. Maybe they do in Afghanistan and you know parts of other parts of the world, but they don't do here. And to me, that that's that's a plus. That's a development. That's a positive thing that we've achieved over our ten thousand years or so of, of of civilization. And I don't think we want to go back to those days. I don't think we want to go back to having one religion actually dictate the things that we can and cannot do. It is also true that even though there is no one-to-one -one relationship between nonviolent religious extremism and religious-based terrorism, there is a relationship. You look at groups like Islamic State, I'll just use one example of Islamic State. They try to impose their narrow, hateful, intolerant, non-normative, non-mainstream interpretation of Islam on everybody. Look at the, look at the so-called society, the so-called caliphate that they created. They had all kinds of laws for all kinds of things, things you could do, things you couldn't do. And they would impose the harshest punishment possible on those who contravened those rules. People were beheaded. Women were stoned to death for allegedly having affairs, whether or not it was true or not. A woman's voice counting virtually nothing under Islamic State. Yes, that's an, that's an extreme example of what happens when you have religious figures running a society. And thankfully, those examples are few and far between. And I don't like slippery slope arguments. I'm not trying to suggest that because you have a priest or a rabbi uh, speaking publicly about a certain issue, that that is going to inexorably lead to the imposition of those rules on society. I, I think we're past that in most of, of Canadian society. I'm not a big fan of, you know, Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale, Handmaid's Tale, where is in some kind of apocalyptic future, a very uh, fundamentalist Christian society develops and women have no rights. They're basically slaves to, to the men that own them. So I don't want to go there. But I do think that we do have a responsibility as citizens who live in a post-religious society, a secular society, that when we hear messages like this that are out there, that we do push back. And that we say, look, you can do whatever you want within the confines of your own faith or your own parish or your own Islamic community or your own Orthodox community in Jerusalem or whatever. 
you can set the rules because the people who belong there will agree or not agree to abide by those rules. What you don't have the right to do is impose those rules on everybody else. That is something we've gotten we've gotten past. No longer are we in a society where the religion of the ruler is the religion of the state and there was a monopoly on deciding what was right and what was wrong. So I don't want to over-exaggerate this point. I do find it uh, mildly curious and uh, funny that in the 1950s, there was a big debate in Ottawa about wearing shorts when the temperature, you know, rose above 30. What's that? 80, high 80s Fahrenheit? I've, I've, I've forgotten. I was raised on Fahrenheit. I forgot what Fahrenheit means. I now, I now do my calculations in metric and in Celsius. So yeah, that's a bit of our past. Be hard to make that debate right now. But I, I think when you run a society that is post-religious and secular, you're constantly on guard. You're constantly having to fight back tendencies or initiatives or efforts to bring us back to earlier days, bit by bit, you know, sort of piece by piece. And they say that when you live in a democracy, you're currently, you're, you're constantly vigilant. You have to watch, democracy is fragile. You have to keep watching out for these threats and these efforts to undermine it. You may think I'm taking this in a direction that's not necessary. I mean, after all, this was based on a breakfast article I read first thing this morning. Maybe I've taken it uh, a little too seriously. Maybe I have overinterpreted it. Let me know. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on email, borealiswiskygmail.com, or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Facebook. And if you like this content, you want to subscribe to all my content, please go to my website, www.borealisthreatenrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button. Fill in your email information and you'll get a daily digest to your inbox every morning with all of the information, all the perspectives, the blogs, the quick hits, the longer interviews I do, my Today in Terrorism series, all free of charge. There's still such thing as a free lunch. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.